Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. The biggest secret of the best traders in the world is that they're just like everyone else. However, they've worked hard to learn the markets and discover what works and what doesn't. But how can you hear about these journeys and get in on the strategies and tactics they use? You can do it by listening to Chat with Traders. Here's your host, Aaron Fifield. What's up, guys? What's going on? Hope you're all doing really well. This week on the podcast, I have algorithmic trader Kevin Davey, who, like many guests in the past, he comes from a background in engineering. And I don't know what it is, but there's something about these engineers. They just seem to make really great traders. After getting off to a bumpy start roughly 25 years ago, Kevin has come a very long way since then. Between 2005 and 2007, Kevin competed in the World Cup of Futures Trading Championship, where he finished in first place once and second place twice, each time with returns in excess of 100%, so he did very, very well. Kevin is also the author of Building Winning Algorithmic Trading Systems, a book which has been well-received by the trading community and has plenty of five-star ratings and reviews on Amazon. During this interview, we cover the great focus Kevin places on trading multiple strategies in multiple markets to achieve a smoother equity curve. So we kind of hit on a little bit of diversification. It's very interesting. And he also walks us through his development process for taking an algorithmic trading strategy from objectives and initial idea through to total automation. Plus, we cover plenty more as well. And even if you're not familiar with this side of trading or this particular style of trading, you shouldn't have too much trouble keeping up because Kevin does an excellent job of explaining everything. Now, guys, just real quick before we get into it, I'm going to ask once again, if you haven't already done so, could you please leave a very brief review on the podcast and iTunes? I can't express how helpful this is. It's just a really easy way that you can support the podcast. So if you can do this, just go to chatwithtraders.com forward slash iTunes. Again, huge help and I really appreciate it. All right. I'm your host, Aaron Fifield. This is the Chat with Traders podcast, and here is this week's guest, Kevin Davey. Hey, Kevin. Great to be speaking with you. How's it going? Great. Well, thanks for having me, Aaron. Absolutely no trouble. It's my pleasure. I mean, thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, 
you know, we've been speaking for a little bit beforehand and I mean, we're going to dig into some really interesting topics here. Uh, algorithmic trading will, of course, be the big one. Um, and I know you've got plenty to share on this, so it's going to be good. Um, but before we get into trading specifics, let's cover your background and the journey you've been on to getting to where you are now. So, Kevin, tell us about your introduction to trading and if you could, take it back one step further and give us some background about what you were doing before this time also. Okay. Well, um, my introduction to trading was really, uh, I, I got an ad that came through the mail that said, uh, hey, you can make a ton of money by trading commodities. And you know, at the time, I was a couple years out of college and I didn't even really know what all that was, you know, I had just started to, in a career, I was in engineering, uh, actually aerospace engineering, so I was, I was working on uh, uh, fighter aircraft, and, uh, you know, I was just starting to get settled in a career and started to have some money to invest, and I saw this about commodities, how you can make all this money, and I think the, the example I was given was actually sugar. And it showed, hey, if you bought sugar all the way up here, you would have made, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars kind of thing. And so at that point, I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. And uh, so that, that kind of started it and started me down the road of, you know, doing research and, uh, of course, you know, opening an account because everybody's always excited to open an account as soon as they can. And within, I don't know, a few weeks, I lost... 10 or 15 percent, 20 percent, something like that. So then I did the reverse of the, of the strategy I was trying to trade and I lost a bunch more and all of a sudden my account's down like 60 percent uh, in a very short time. And so, you know, but by that time I was kind of hooked. Uh, you know, I was like, wow, well, if I can lose money this quickly, I could probably make it this quickly. <laughs> that was my naive way of thinking. And, uh, that really just had me progress down the road of trying a bunch of different things over the years. Uh, you know, most things didn't work. And then eventually I kind of started to do more mechanical trading system. I always liked the, the rule aspect actually from like day one. But there were times where I did discretionary trading and that type of thing. And uh, eventually I just kind of settled on hey, these mechanical algorithmic trading strategies that you just follow the rules and just execute them and if you've evaluated them right and tested them right they should produce you know some kind of profit over time and that's that's kind of where my journey's led and that's what I do today is just create strategies and trade a lot of the ones that I have and I always have new strategies waiting to go in case something happens to some of my existing ones and I just continue on that journey. Excellent. Yeah, that's really good. So let's let's not brush over those first couple years and I'm keen to hear more about what was going through your head when you you lost sort of around about 60% of your initial capital and you decided to you know take a step aside and reassess things. Like I mean most people I presume would probably do that once they've run out of capital to actually trade with. Uh, let's step back and then rethink things. But you sort of noticed that this isn't going right. I need to do something here. So what was your what was your next step 
from there? Like, what were you learning? What were you studying? And, and how did you go about this? Okay. Um, well, really, what happened after, you know, I almost blew out that first account, I kind of took a step back and uh, I just started reading as much as I possibly could. So at the time, this is about 25 years ago, there were, the Internet didn't exist, so there weren't all these trading websites and forums where you could get information. So a lot of it was just uh, books and uh magazines, you know, some of the trading magazines, and I was just kind of devouring all that. As much as I could possibly get information-wise, I did. And it didn't really matter what style of trading was discussed. It was just talking about trading, and that's what really interested me is, you know, I was just kind of on a, I guess, a fact-finding mission I just wanted to see what other people did and how other people succeeded. Maybe that would help. And, you know, I looked at things like, obviously, like Elliott Wave and Gan Theory and all these different things. And, you know, I kind of said, well, hey, that doesn't really fit me or this kind of does. And eventually I got to the point where I started testing some of this stuff. And at the time... I don't even know if uh, tools like TradeStation uh, or anything like that was available to do the testing. So I was doing a lot of the testing uh, by hand. I had done some computer programming before. So I got a hold of some data and created my own uh, trading systems and a way to evaluate them. And I did that for quite a while. And, you know, that whole thing led down the road of over-optimizing, curve-fitting, too many rules, too many parameters, and, you know, you'd, you'd get these ridiculously good results, and they'd be like, oh, well, I didn't even include commissions on that or slippage, you know, didn't even really understand at the time what slippage was because I hadn't traded that much. But uh, eventually, over time, I started to realize that, hey, most of these systems look so good, but they're just... Uh, bogus, you know, they're not going to work. I kind of knew that just from my experience getting creamed right at the beginning. So uh, I was just able to to kind of keep on and develop more systems, but not actually trade them right away and just kind of watch them. And eventually I got to the point where I felt comfortable enough to actually start trading some of these things. Now, the problem was I was working full time. So uh, I couldn't uh, place orders all day long. I had to do like end of day systems. And at the time, there really wasn't software to, at least for a retail trader, to even automate things I, that would never even entered my mind. So I was just doing these simple end of day systems. And, um, you know, on and off, I had some success. And along the way, I did a bunch of other things. You know, I looked at things like uh, scale trading, where you buy on a scale down and you keep adding to a losing position, and I got killed with that. So I was doing other things along the same time, but eventually I just kind of settled on this mechanical-type trading. And uh, make a long story short, eventually I actually had a little bit of success, and then once that happened, then I started to get some confidence in what I was doing and 
that kind of led me just to where I ended up today. Okay, no, that's excellent. So if we had to boil it down to just one or two of the greatest challenges you experienced earlier on, what would you say these were? I mean, I think it's really good to highlight these because a lot of listeners can really resonate and um, perhaps if they're having similar challenges, learn about how you overcame these challenges. So, I mean, you kind of mentioned curve fitting and that, but was there anything else that, that you really struggled with early on? Um, that was probably the biggest thing. But I guess I would generalize it a little bit more, learning how to properly test and evaluate a strategy. That was the biggest challenge because uh, there wasn't that a whole ton of information out there about that back when I started doing it. And, um, you know, even the stuff I read probably didn't sink in enough because, you know, until you actually do some of it, then you become more experienced with it. And then you realize, oh, this this guy in this book was he was making sense and I didn't understand it at the time. But, uh, you know, even when I started using tools like uh, TradeStation, which is what I primarily use now, unfortunately, the way they set up the software, it makes it really easy to make a lot of bad decisions. You know, the easiest thing to do is you open up a chart, then you insert a couple strategies, and then you optimize it, and then you get the best results, and then you you go and trade it. And a lot of people still do that. And, uh, you know, and I certainly looked at that either in the, the stuff I was custom doing or when I actually started doing with TradeStation. So, and that's totally the wrong uh, approach to take it, it leads to so many bad things that uh, I can't even describe them all but that's probably the biggest challenge is uh, knowing how to test and evaluate the right way okay sure and you also mentioned um, in your previous answer that you were still holding down a job for quite some time um, while you were trading so at what point did you feel comfortable and, and confident to to take the leap and, and make that transition to trading full-time? Um, well, in I think I did this in 2007 was actually when I, uh, or 2008, I'm sorry, when I actually made the leap. So I've been trading full-time for over seven years now. And what happened was in 2005, 6, and 7, I finished in the uh, World Cup of Futures Trading Championship. I finished in first place one of the years and second place the other two years. And so it was three years in a row. I finished in first or second. And each of those years I had over 100% return. So that gave me quite a bit of confidence that, hey, I kind of know what I'm doing. Maybe I should do this full time. And the way it worked out career-wise with what I was doing, uh, I had an opportunity to leave uh, the company I was working with and get uh, basically like a lump sum of money uh, at that time. And so I thought, well, hey, that'll help keep me going as I start to transition to this full-time trading. You know, Because the last thing you want to do when you're a full-time trader is be sucking off your account to pay for living expenses. And... Um, Eventually, I had to do some of that, but 
at least this gave me a little bit of room. But the biggest thing, uh, you know, with just going full time, uh, I probably looking back on it, I think I started not too soon, but with way too little capital. And uh, if I had probably 10 times the amount of capital to start with, I would have been a lot better off back then. But, you know, that's one of those things you think you have enough and then you start doing it and you you realize, ooh, you know, when you start getting into drawdowns and you have to withdraw money too for your for living expenses, uh, it becomes psychologically, it, it really kind of hits you. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's that's very impressive that you were able to um, take out the, the winning spot on, on several competitions there while you're still holding down a part-time job. I think that's very cool. And I can definitely see how that would be a huge confidence boost. Um, but even still, I mean, did you notice, um, were there any notable differences in your trading habits when you did transition to full-time trading? Like you didn't have the the regular income any longer that you could rely on and, and fall back on. Did your trading habits change in any way, shape, or form? Um, yeah, especially in the beginning uh, because now I had all day to trade basically and that was part of the problem because I started to do some of that where uh, I just started to do some discretionary trading, which I really couldn't do, you know, having a full-time job, obviously, I couldn't really trade during the day. Now, all of a sudden, I had the time to do it, so I said, hey, why don't, why don't I try doing some of this discretionary trading during the day? And, um, you know, that didn't work out too well. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd be still doing it. But uh, that was a big thing. And the other thing was just becoming disciplined enough to say, okay, well, now I have all this extra time, but I've got to be working more on systems and new strategies and that type of thing. And that was something I really wasn't, probably wasn't prepared enough for. But uh, after a few months, I kind of realized that, wow, I've really got to step up what I'm doing. You know, I, I think I was kind of in the mode in the initially that, well, yeah, I'm full-time trading, but it doesn't mean it has to take up all my time. And after a few months, I realized, well, I'm not going to survive doing that. So I got to be working a lot more. And actually now I probably, I bet compared to what I used to do career-wise with the part-time trading, I'm sure I'm doing spending more time uh, now doing the full-time trading. Right, Okay. So let's let's now talk about what has been working really well for you. So Kevin, if you could tell us how you would describe your style of trading as far as markets, time frames, and approach, etc. Okay. Well, um, what I do now is I'm looking any markets, really any time frames, uh, and any kind of strategy. I don't. I try not to pigeonhole myself and say, well, I'm only going to look at the ES or I'm only going to look at crude oil or something like that. Basically, any any liquid market is, is fair game. And then time frame wise, uh, I'll look to develop strategies that are intraday. I don't have as many of those because those are just harder, I think, to at least for me to develop. 
but I have a lot of swing systems that last days to weeks. I even have some systems that last up to months. So uh, different markets, different time frames, and then completely different strategies. You know, I, I will, uh, if I find something that works in a particular market, I might try to apply it to different markets and see how it works. But for the most part, uh, I don't necessarily expect that to happen or demand that it happens. Uh, you know, some people say, well, hey, I need a strategy that works in 10 different markets or I'm not going to trade it. I think that, uh, I understand why they're saying that, but my experience is you don't really need that. You can find, I have some strategies that only work in one particular market, but they work pretty well. And so I will trade them. So that's kind of uh, where I've gone. So I just develop systems for any market, any time frame, and any kind of strategy. And if it, as long as it meets certain goals and it was also developed using a, the, the process, the development process I normally use, then I'm good to trade it. And so right now, for example, I think I'm just over 80 different strategies that I'm trading, either automated, some are manual, um, but all different kinds of markets and that type of thing. So, for example, when the uh, ES crashed uh you know, and then it went back up a couple, a week and a half ago. I was uh, short quite a few ES put options. And my options, because I do option selling as part of how I trade, and those options accounts got really nailed where they lost probably just over 15% of their account value in one month. But I was also trading all these other strategies that you know aren't option strategies there's plain future strategies and those made up for it so overall i was able to make money for the, the month of august but uh that really speaks to i think some of the diversification i was doing and and that's kind of just probably where my trading will be going from here is just developing more systems and just trying to diversify more Okay, and I know you're obviously very big on diversifying and having multiple systems, trading multiple markets um, simultaneously. Um, what's what's like? You've mentioned some of the advantages there, but like I think there's additional advantages as well. Like, does it also um, help smooth out your overall equity curve? And is there any other benefits that that make this such a important piece of your trading success? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the equity curve smoothing has always been one of my goals. And uh, one way I measure that is just my monthly returns, percentage returns, measuring the standard deviation of those returns. And it's gone down uh, by a factor of, I think, three or four in the last four or five years as I've gone from probably trading five strategies or so to getting up to where I'm at now. So that's one of the huge benefits of it. The other thing, uh, there's a couple other things that are kind of interesting that people probably don't think about initially, but let's just say you're trading 20 strategies, for example. If if you allocate capital to each one, each one is 5% of your account, roughly. And if one of those strategies breaks, 
it's not going to kill your account. Yeah, it's going to hurt, but you know, you've only allocated so much to it that it's not going to wipe you out. Where people trading one strategy, if that strategy does bad, it just wipes them out. You know, the flip side to that is trading one strategy, if it does really well, well, then you'll have higher returns. But um, as a full-time trader, I'm not really aiming for those super huge returns anymore. I'm aiming for something that's a little more consistent and that, uh, you know, will tend what I hope is last longer. So I'm willing to give up some of that upside so I don't have that downside. And the other big thing with trading a lot of strategies that probably not a lot of people realize is it becomes really hard to, uh, what I would say, cheat on a system. And by cheating, I mean, you know, you'll see a signal, even if it's automated, and you'll, you'll say, oh, it shouldn't be doing that. You know, there's a Fed announcement in a few minutes, so I'm going to turn that strategy off and exit that position. That's what a lot of people do with their automated systems uh, or even mechanical systems that are manual. They'll override them and turn them off. That's not good because now you're going against what your historical testing said. You know, it said to do something. Now you're doing something else. Are you going to make it better or worse? I don't know. Probably you'll make it worse. But the point is it's different. But yet when you have 20 systems, it becomes really hard to cheat on those systems because you're, you're going to be overwhelmed. Oh, system A, am I following it or not? Uh, I don't know. Well, system B, I know I'm doing the exact opposite of what I should be. And you're trying to keep track of all this. It's much easier just to let the systems run and then deal with the consequences of that, uh, which means you, know, you put things in place to quit those systems that uh, are bad, but you don't overrule them with what you're doing. So that's one of the uh, a big benefit of trading a lot of strategies. Okay, sure. Yeah, now you hit on a lot of really great points there. Thank you for sharing those, Kevin. Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U.S. markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. Not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, now, maybe I should have asked this a little bit earlier, but I mean, what actually attracts you to algorithmic or systematic trading? And in, in your opinion, like, what are the major benefits of this actual approach? 
Well, I think the, the biggest thing is you can evaluate it before you start trading it. And that, to me, is huge when you start thinking about your confidence in something. You know, I know a lot of people will look at a chart that'll be of two weeks and they'll see a certain pattern and they'll see five instances of it and, you know, four of them worked and they'll say, hey, that's good, I'm going to go. Well, uh, to me, that's just uh, awful. It's an awful habit to do. So I want to evaluate something and I want 100 trades, 200 trades, 500 trades. You know, I have some back tests going back that have like, uh, you know, two or 3,000 trades. That's the, the biggest benefit, I think, because I know over history that it's worked. Now, does it mean it's going to work going forward? Well, absolutely not. But all things being equal, uh, would you rather trade a system that you knew worked in the past and you were hoping it would keep working in the future, or would you want to trade one that either you didn't know how it did in the past or you knew it lost money in the past? Uh, you know, In that case, I think the answer is pretty clear. You want to go with what's worked and take your chances with that. And that's probably the biggest thing I get out of mechanical trading. I can look at history and said, well, yeah, this has made money in the past, and therefore I'm willing to take a chance with it working in the future. Sure, sure. Okay. Now, those are, those are some great benefits, um, but as we're constantly reminded, there's, there's no such thing as the quote-unquote holy grail when it comes to trading. So what are perhaps some of the cons or some of the negatives that come with being an algorithmic trader? Um, I would say probably the biggest con that uh, people tend to fall, trap they fall into, is they try to make a holy grail. Uh, and the way they do that is they will go through and they'll, they'll run a test of, you know, five years, ten years, and they'll get some results, and the results will look pretty good. You know, the equity curve kind of goes up, and, you know, it looks decent, but they'll say, oh, I can do better. And they'll go back and they'll add some rules and filters. And then they'll, they'll look at, oh, it looks better. And then they'll go back and they'll, they'll look at the results and say, oh, you know, if I didn't trade on a Tuesday, my results would be a whole bunch better. So they take out Tuesdays. Of course, the equity curve looks better. And they keep doing that. And they fool themselves into thinking because they made this better-looking back test, you know, this historical test, that it's going to continue on into the future and that's usually not even uh, true and the ex exact opposite is usually true it, it's kind of strange but the more you try to make something better the more you try to perfect it the worse it actually becomes and um, that's probably the biggest trap that I see people falling into and the biggest con to, to uh, or disadvantage of algorithmic trading is, is people think because they can test Therefore, they should do everything possible to make the test great. And um, that gets a, a lot of people into uh, some serious trouble. Okay. But in saying that, is there still, to a certain extent, it's a good idea to try and optimize your strategy? Like, is there a thin line 
between optimizing and then over-optimizing and curve fitting? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I still optimize. Um, I just I use uh, what's called walk-forward analysis, which uh, keeps data out of sample. And so I'll optimize over a certain period, but then I'll apply those parameters to brand-new data and see how it's done. And I'll do that approach, and that works a lot better than just traditional optimizing. But even that, where people get messed up is they'll get results that are walk-forward results, but then they'll go back and change their system five, ten times. And then all of a sudden, what they think is out-of-sample data isn't really out-of-sample They've because they've run it so many times. So, yeah, there's definitely a, a fine line in uh, – you know, I always tell the story that I have, I have some systems where I have two or three uh, lines of code almost. I, I have a line for entry and a line for exit, and maybe I'll optimize. There'll be something to optimize on each line, so maybe two variables to optimize. And if that looks decent, I will stop there. And some people think that's crazy. You know, they'll say, "Well, well." you got to add more filters and, and more, you know, conditions. And, you know, that doesn't seem to work. I mean, I know people who've spent five, six years uh, currently working on one particular system, and they have thousands of lines of code, and they're no better off. Uh, I mean, they've just op over-optimized to the nth degree. And, you know, I guess my rule of thumb always with this is, if you start to feel a little uneasy that you might be doing too much optimizing, you've probably already gone past that point where you have. And it's definitely time to stop at that point. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, just a couple of the, the words or the, the terms you used in there. I just want to make sure that listeners uh, uh, understand. Um, so there's a couple you mentioned there was out of sample and then walk forward. Would you mind just explaining what those two terms refer to? Okay. Well, if you're doing any kind of back testing, uh, normally what most people do is they will test up until today and optimize and then take those parameters and start trading them. That would be optimization with no, it's all in sample because if by in sample, I mean they've evaluated they've made their decision based on optimized data. So that's the first one. But then there's some people who said, well, I'm going to test uh, for five years, but then leave the last two years of history. Uh, I'm not going to optimize that. And I'm just going to apply those parameters to those two years and see how it did. That's an out of sample test. So you optimized on one set of data but then you applied those parameters to another set of data. That's an out of sample test. And then the walk forward is actually just a process that kind of takes that to a further degree where you optimize and put it to a set of parameters for a limited amount of time. Then you optimize, you move the optimization, you walk the optimization window, and you apply it to another set of time. And basically what you do then at the end is put together all these pieces of out-of-sample periods together to get a full out-of-sample curve. And if you do it right, it really is 
truly out of sample data that your system is being evaluated on. And that uh, tends to work a lot better than a fully optimized system. Now, none of those are as good as live testing. You know, obviously the, the best test always is going to be live testing. And, um, you know, you can certainly do that. And a lot of people, part of my process actually, I actually do some of that where even though I've done the walk forward testing, I don't go and trade something immediately. You know, if I develop something tonight, I'm not going to trade it tomorrow. I'm going to let it sit for a while and see what happens in real time. And that seems to also help eliminate some of those systems that, you know, uh, we've all had them that as soon as you start trading them, uh, they go and start, you know, they go into this huge drawdown. Uh, and you're like, why does this always happen to me kind of thing? But th that kind of helps with it, just waiting a while, and uh, which most people don't do. Excellent. Thanks for explaining those, Kevin. That's really good. Um, now, I'd like to talk probably a little bit more about the actual development of a system or an algorithm. Um, so if you could, maybe just give us an overview of your process for developing an algorithm. Like what are the, if you could just briefly hit on each one of the stages involved, going from maybe initial idea through to actually going live with an algorithm. Well, first, I mean, the first thing, even before you come up with the idea, you really have to know what your goals and objectives are. And, and most people just bypass that completely. But it helps set expectations because if you're looking for a, a strategy that returns, say, 300% a year with a 10% drawdown, uh, you're never going to find it. But So you got to have realistic goals to start. Then, you know, you, you, ideas. Um, I talk a lot about a, what I call a strategy factory, which is kind of describes my whole process, where trading ideas come in the door, come in your factory, you work on them, and then what either comes out at the end is either a full-blown strategy that you can actually trade, or it's junk, uh, which is what most ideas turn out to be. And, you know, it just goes in the scrap heap. But it all starts with ideas. Ideas are your raw material. And if you run out of ideas, well, you have nothing to test, right? And, and part of the running a factory is having lots of ideas to go through the factory to test. And so I make sure I always have, I probably have in any one point in time, 50 or 60 ideas of things I want to test. And honestly, I just don't have enough time to test them all. I wish I did, but... Um, I never lack for testing. I never say to myself, boy, I wish I had something to test. I can't think of anything. Um, so you need that reservoir of ideas. So then usually what I do is um, I just run a, a quick test on it. Uh, you don't need to go through the whole process of running these detailed tests. A lot of times just a limited period testing, a simple test will tell you if your idea holds any water, you know, if it has any merit to it at all. Uh, and that's a quick way to kind of go through a lot of ideas. So I do that. Then I go into a detailed testing, uh, which includes the walk forward testing and, and some optimization. And assuming that passes, then I run some random simulations, some Monte Carlo simulations, because, you know, just because a, a certain... Uh, walk forward test equity curve 
looked a certain way doesn't mean that's the way it, it will happen in the future. You, know, you can take those trades and just mix them up and you get so, something totally different. So it helps gives you some more probabilities of what's occurring. So once, if that passes, and in each of those steps, there's certain criteria that I use to say, well, okay, this can go on to the next step, or no, it's, it's junk, I'm giving up, moving on to my next idea. Uh, once it goes through the, the random simulations, then I actually just put it in what I call incubation, but it's just, it just sits on a shelf basically for a period of time. And I go and check it periodically to make sure to see what it's doing. But then at the end of it, I'll say, yes, I think I'm going to trade it or no, I'm not, or I need to evaluate it longer. And I just evaluate it once a month. And I do that right now, probably with uh, hundred uh, somewhere between 100 and 150 strategies that I look at at least once a month. And, you know, at that point, sometimes I'll bring new ones in. And that's probably the, the last step is you say, well, I've got this portfolio of strategies I'm trading and I have some extra capital. So either I'm going to bring in more strategies or maybe I'm going to increase the size of the ones I already have. You know, it kind of becomes a trade-off. Should I increase size? ones I have or should I just bring in new ones um, you know and there's some criteria that I go through to determine what to do there and that's pretty much it you know and then I'll go live with it and uh, but then even once you go live the important thing you have to monitor those strategies make sure they're actually performing and you also have some cri some criteria in place to tell you when you're going to stop you know, most people don't think of, that's one thing most people don't think about. They don't think about when they're going to stop trading a system. Uh, you know, especially, you know, think about it. You just created a system and you're all excited about all the money you're, you're going to make. The last thing you're thinking about is, well, what if the strategy doesn't work? What do I do? Uh, most people don't think about it. And, um, but that's exactly the time you should be thinking about it. And you should say, hey, if the strategy does this, you know, if it has this kind of drawdown or whatever, I'm going to quit trading it. And that kind of completes the process, and it's kind of the loop back to monitor your performance. And then it just becomes uh, almost as simple as it sounds. It's just doing that process again and again and again, uh, you know, hundreds of times to create new strategies. Okay, so have you ever had a situation where, um, like similar to what you just described, you, you've gone through all this testing and this process, you've gone live with a strategy um, only to find out that it's not performing anywhere near as well as it was um, during the testing phase and it's actually given you quite poor results. Have you ever had an experience like that and, and how did you treat it if that's the case? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean... Um whether it's I do something wrong in the testing and I don't even realize it or the market's changed. You know, for example, uh, in my book, I have a couple of Euro systems that were doing pretty well up until uh, mid-2014 when volatility started to reach record lows in the Euro. And then those systems stopped working. Uh, they just And they really haven't recovered at all, even though the volatility's picked back up. But the the structure of the market, I think, has actually changed a little bit. And, but, so yeah, I definitely have some 
that don't quite work out. And the big thing I do is I, I just say, well, here's my criteria for when I'm going to cut that strategy out of the portfolio. And, you know, because otherwise, if you don't do that, you could eventually get to the point where the strategy just takes over and ruins your account. Uh, and you don't want that. You want to cut those. It's just like trading. You want to cut the losers and let the winners run. And whether that's a particular trade or if you look at a bigger picture strategies, you want to do the same thing. You just want to cut your losing strategies before they get too bad. Okay, that's an excellent point. Now, I, I feel as though many people may perceive algorithmic trading as an area that is probably quite daunting. Do you feel like this is actually an accurate assumption, or do you feel like um, do you feel like it's probably not that much more difficult to learn than it is to become a good discretionary trader? Um, I think it, it's there's two different skill sets because you know if you're, you want to become a discretionary trader, I think it's really important to uh, understand the market and you know. Uh, you know, understand price action and that type of thing, where if you're being an algorithmic trader, that might not be as big of a concern. So and what I mean by that is uh, a lot of times I'll see an idea and I don't know if it's good or bad based on my market knowledge. So what I'll do is I'll just test it and that will tell me if it's good or bad. So in that respect, you don't necessarily have to be, you know, a deep market theorist to be good at algorithmic trading. All you have, what you really have to be good at, is your approach to evaluating ideas, uh, and you have to do that properly. And if you don't do that properly, then you know it's that old uh, computer phrase: "Garbage in, garbage out." You know, if you if you don't do things right. You're just going to get garbage, and you you think you're going to have these great results, and you're not. But normally, what I tell people, as long as they can program even simple strategies in whatever trading platform, and you know, test if they can test simple strategies, they probably know enough to at least take that next step and learn how to test properly. Um, you know, as long as you can do that, you're good enough. Uh, you know, some people think they need to spend years of coding with their particular software language to to be able to trade algorithmically and actually I think that is more of a, a detriment um, because you don't need to do a lot of fancy things you know for example I have systems that the entry is literally if the close is greater than the close of 10 bars ago buy the next bar I mean that that's can be as simple entry like that and that can work and you know you can put an exit or two with it and those kind of things can actually work pretty good and um, my philosophy always is well the the simplest things usually tend to work the best going forward because you're what you're doing you're not putting a lot of demands on the market for the future you know you're just saying hey if this little thing is true buy um, you know, you're not saying, well, hey, if the momentum's up and the RSI is this and the ADX is this and your uh, MACD is doing something, you know, 
a lot of people think the more conditions they impose, the better off they are. And it's actually the opposite. The less you impose, the better off you are. Okay. That's, that's really good. That's an excellent point. And for someone who might be, might be interested in moving towards algorithmic trading but doesn't know how to go about it, what would you suggest to them might be a good first few steps? Well, um, obviously, uh, probably reading my book once once uh, they get a little familiar, at least with the futures markets, uh, that's a good one. There's other other good system development books out there. Bob Pardo wrote a probably the classic book a while back, and that's a good book. And there's uh, books by uh, Tomasini. One it's called uh, I can't remember the title offhand. I think it's called uh, Trading Systems. Uh, Jackal and Tomasini. That's that's a good book. So there, there's some good books that will give you some of the basics of, of testing. And then the other part of it is to actually just fire up that software, whether it's Ninja or TradeStation, MultiCharts, Omnibroker, whatever it is, and learn how to program simple systems in that language and, you know, do that, do some simple optimization be able to look at a performance report and see what's going on. That's the way you start uh, getting a feel for this algorithmic trading. And once you get to that point, then it's, okay, well, now I'm going to learn to test the, the correct way. And then it's just a matter of programming lots of ideas and trying them out. Sure. Excellent. Okay. Well, I'll make sure to put links to um, all those books you just mentioned there in the show notes so if anyone wants to check those out just go to uh, chatwithtraders.com forward slash 38 and you'll find links uh, on that page Um, now this is a question that actually came in through the chat with traders site um, and i thought it was a really good one and you're probably the the right person to ask Um, can you survive as a trader over the next 30 years without learning much about code well, that's a good question. Um, I personally would not want to, but uh, I think if you are willing to spend the time sitting in front of your computer day after day, and you know, I'm assuming you're going to be a discretionary trader, you might be able to to do to do okay. Um, I don't really know because my my world, I know a lot more algorithmic type mechanical type traders and you know a lot of them have had success i don't know a lot of discretionary traders to begin with uh so you know knowing that they are having success i don't really know for sure so yeah that's uh i guess if you if you decide hey i'm going to go discretionary trading um you know it's possible but Obviously, if you want to do any kind of algorithmic, mechanical type trading and any kind of testing evaluation, I think you really have to learn to do some coding. Mm, I think that's a good answer. And I mean, it is quite a quite a tricky question, really. Um, but I mean, Kevin, this has been this has been really good. So let's just do one last question, then we'll probably wind things down. So I like to ask this to pretty much everyone who comes on the show. So if you had to sum it up for us. What's the main reason why you believe most traders never succeed? Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
there's probably a couple of reasons. So I don't know if I'll be able to give you one, but psychology and uh, having an edge. And, and the ironic thing is those two go together. So uh, some people think it's all about psychology. Got to have the right psychology. I got to journal my feelings, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's great. But if you don't have an edge, all the psychology in the world isn't going to make you profitable. Okay. Uh, but even if you do have an edge, if you don't have the right psychology, you know, so for example, if you're a mechanical trader and your psychology is such that you have to overrule the system, you're not going to be successful doing that. So uh, you need both of those pieces. And if you only have one and not the other, you're still going to fail. Uh, and a lot of people don't get that. They think it's either all about psychology or it's all about finding an edge. And really the truth is you got to have both. And that's probably the, the biggest key out there. 100%. That's a brilliant answer, Kevin. And an awesome way to take us out. So before you go, can you share with listeners where they can go to find out more about you and connect with you? Sure. Uh, my website's www.kjtradingsystems.com and uh, you can go there and read a bunch of stuff and you can also uh, most of the pages have contact forms at the bottom where you can contact me or you can just send me an email at uh, it's kdavey k-d-a-v-e-y at kjtradingsystems.com uh, just send me an email on the you know I'm just here trading pretty much full-time so uh i see all the emails no one else answers any of my emails or anything like that so they can reach me that way too really good and do you want to share the title of your book sure it's called uh building winning algorithmic trading systems it's kind of a, a big title and then there's a nice subtitle it's a trader's journey from data mining to monte carlo simulation to live trading and in that book, I talk more about the, the process we kind of talked about today, Aaron. And in the beginning of the book, I kind of lay out uh, my uh, trading history. So it's more of a narrative in the beginning. And uh, what a lot of people have told me is they kind of identify with a lot of the, the struggles I went through. But I think it's kind of important to see the struggles before you see you know, the ultimate success. Um, because a lot of people think trading's just all, hey, I'm going to start trading, it's going to be easy. And it's really anything but. It's, I always tell people it's the hardest, uh, hardest way to make easy money that's out there. <laughs> I like that. I like it. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a book I'm really keen to check out for myself. So anyone who wants links, of course, everything will be at chatwithtraders.com forward slash 38, um, including a link to Kevin's book. Um, and last of all, you're on Twitter as well, aren't you? Yeah, it's uh, my Twitter is KJ Trading, and um, yeah, people can reach me that way too. Awesome. All right, very good. So go follow Kevin on Twitter, and Kevin, take care, and let's speak very soon. All right. Well, hey, thanks for having me here today, Aaron. My pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. 
You've come to the end of this episode of Chat with Traders, but don't worry, more great episodes are on the way. To stay updated with each great new episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, and we'd love it if you leave us a rating and review. We'll see you next time on Chat with Traders.